0: From lovely Maple Grove, Minnesota and SixFootMama.com, this is Still Growing with Jennifer Ebling. Still Growing is a gardening podcast dedicated to helping you and your garden grow. Hi there, everyone, and welcome to Still Growing, and thank you for listening. I'm your host, Jennifer Ebling. Well, columnist Lynn Gendusa is back on the show today, and she's sharing a beautiful article that she wrote last year for Thanksgiving, and it's called Thanksgiving in a Garden. And this article is so special to me because it's the reason Lynn and I connected. I was just so moved after reading Lynn's article, Thanksgiving in a Garden, that I tracked her down and I reached out to her last year and we started corresponding. In fact, Lynn was a guest on the show for the Easter episode back in 2017, episode 567. It was called The Legend of the Dogwood Tree. It was an Easter special with Lynn Gendusa. And just like her Thanksgiving story, I was instantly taken with Lynn's story of self-awakening. It was an Easter hunt of sorts. So if you haven't checked that episode out, go check it out. Today's a great day to do that. And what I love about the way Lynn tells stories is that she brings us back to reality and she brings us back to what's important. In that Easter episode, she talked about how you can get so buried in the tasks of daily life that you can become what Lynn called a forgetful daughter. I always like to think of gardeners as being somewhat nostalgic. I think we're always looking for and appreciating those things that anchor us in the world. And in the same way that gardening is doing that for us, stories like the ones that Lynn tells are perfect for gardeners. So after you hear today's episode, Give yourself a treat and go back and listen to Lynn in episode 567. That was the Easter episode. I think you'll enjoy that one as well. Let me give you a little bit of information about Lynn. Lynn writes a weekly column in the LaGrange Daily News, and it's a favorite of mine. Lynn always manages to craft stories that find their way into people's hearts. She writes about her love of family Sweet memories from her childhood, nostalgic perspectives on her experiences, and how God and the natural world are at work in her life. Thanksgiving in a Garden with Lynn Gendusa. That's the topic of today's show, and it's coming up after an update on the listener community for the show and this week's Garden News Roundup. Well, first, I'd like to start out by saying thank you for listening to the Still Growing Podcast this week. Today's Thanksgiving, so if you're traveling somewhere, safe travels, and if you get the chance to go outside, take a walk after your big meal, tour someone's garden, look at the trees, examine the bones of a garden, all of that is wonderful stuff to do on Thanksgiving. Now, if you've just found the show, I want to say a special welcome to you. And if you're a returning listener, thank you for being here. And I always like to say that I hope you're listening to many different gardening podcasts because it really is one of the very best ways to grow and learn as a gardener. And it's a great way to maximize your time off. If this is winter time where you're gardening and you're taking that break, it's the perfect time to work on continuing ed in gardening. Regular listeners of the show know that I love to hear about other podcasts that they're discovering and the things that they're learning on those shows. Listener Phil Coster recently shared a link with our private Facebook group, the listener community for the show. It's the Still Growing Podcast group. And he shared a video of the vegetable gardening show with Mike who recently shared how you can get your hands on some vegetable seeds for practically free. You basically just pay the price of postage. This was a show that was posted on the 20th of November, so just this past Monday. And in order to get these vegetable seeds, all you have to do is mail in a self-addressed stamped envelope. So the cost is basically two stamps and two envelopes. And then you get these vegetable seeds from the Vegetable Gardening Show. Now, Phil shared the link to this in the listener community. So if you want to check out the details for yourself, you can head over to the Facebook group. And when you're there, search for Vegetable and this post will pop right up and you can click to get more information all about it. It's a great deal from Mike the Gardener over at the Vegetable Gardening Show. And thanks to listener Phil Coster for that great tip. In fact, that's the perfect segue to what I'm going to talk about next, which is the listener community for the show. It's a free private Facebook group that I host for listeners of the show, and these folks are made up of gardeners of all skill levels, so don't be intimidated. If you're brand new, you're just as welcome, you'll be just as comfortable as an experienced gardener. We learn a lot from each other. There's tons of experts, tons of different information that you can find in the group, And the group is completely free, so you have nothing to lose. Now, to find it, the next time you're in Facebook, just head on up to the search bar, type in the name of our group. It's the Still Growing Podcast group. And then just request to join. And then you'll be admitted into the group. There are a number of great benefits to joining the group. The first is that I spend a lot of time every single week Curating what I consider to be the very best gardening news and articles that I can get my hands on, and then I share it all in the Facebook group for free. So that's great for you. It's another way to continue to grow and learn as a gardener, and that'll just immediately pop up in your Facebook feed. You don't have to do anything. You'll get quality content right there for free in Facebook. Second, the Facebook group, the Listener Community, is the only place that I go to pick lucky listeners for any show giveaways. Third, you get to interact with the great guests that have been on the show. So, whether that's herbalist Katya Swift from my latest episode, Staying Healthy During Cold and Flu Season with Plants from Your Garden, and herbalist Katya Swift, Katya's in the group or whether that's monarch expert, Kylie Bomley, there's a number of great guests that have been on the show that are in the group that are available for you to connect with. And that was what I originally envisioned when I wanted to create a Facebook group for listeners of the show. And then finally, the other benefit is that there's no spam. Everything that I share in the listener community is something that I work very hard to make sure is helpful and worthwhile for you. So everything I post is curated with you in mind to help you and your garden grow. Plus, hey, it's free, you can't beat free, and it's easy to join. So the next time you're in Facebook, just head on up to the search bar, type in Still Growing Podcast Group, and request to join. I'd love to meet you in the group. Well, let's go ahead and welcome new members into the group, Wendy King, Dawn Keckley, Ann Quick-Page, Janet Manry, Christina Clark, Richard Lindsay, Jeanette Lindsay, Kate Sibarine, Terrence Dixon, and Jan Carter. Welcome, you guys. You know, one of the benefits for me about having a Facebook group, a listener community that I can interact with, is that I get a chance to hear what's going on in your garden. Listener Danny Perkins shared some great images of the leaves changing color in his garden. In fact, some of them were actually kind of mottled. They started out green, and then you could see the reds coming on and the yellows, the oranges. And when he shared it, he said, I thought this was an excellent example of the progression of leaf change. And it really is because they don't just turn red overnight. Well, in some cases they do, but for the most part, it's a gradual change. And that can be really exciting if you're working with kids this time of year. Listener Spencer Holdley shared a very popular post. His seeds are starting to arrive for next year. And he just asked, is anyone planning anything new or fun for next year? He's gonna be trying artichoke and corn, And ironically, it'll be his first time doing potatoes, even though he lives in Idaho. So lots of folks replied to this. Listener Sean Gardner is planting kale, a new variety that hasn't been tried before. It's called Cyber Frill and also Asian Cucumbers. Listener Sue Luftig is trying bok choy. And Sue, if you're listening, I have a guest coming on the show after Christmas that I think you're really going to enjoy, especially if you're trying to grow bok choy for the first time. Vicki Schinnick is trying sweet potatoes, which, of course, this being the Thanksgiving episode makes complete sense. So way to be on point, Vicki. And then past guest Megan Kane of the Creative Vegetable Gardener chimed in that she just got her high mowing catalog. That's one of her favorite catalogs, and she loves to try new varieties every year. So if you don't have the High Mowing catalog yet, definitely get online and check that out. Listener Advisory Board member Patricia Chandler Newport shared with the group a picture of her passion fruit and her banana. Patricia's out of Kego Harbor, Michigan. And she has this super cool humidifier just for these plants because, of course, they have to come indoors for winter and to create an environment that they're going to be happy with, she's incorporated a humidifier. I love this picture. And you wouldn't believe how much humidity that thing's cranking out. You can actually see it in the picture. So if you want to check this image out for yourself, the next time you're in the listener community, just type humidifier into the search bar. Patricia's image will pop right up. You can check it out for yourself. Listener Charlotte Hutt shared pictures of her 10 saffron bulbs from five years ago. Talk about saffron stunning. She was sharing her harvest for this year on year five, these 10 saffron bulbs that she started with five years ago. And she's got these beautiful blooms now. In fact, she said they bloomed for almost a month. And they were so prolific, she harvested the blooms every other day. That's amazing. That's incredible. They're gorgeous. There were a number of posts in the listener love category. New listener Ariana Robbins shared a post. She said, "'Hello, everyone. "'I'm new to the group and to gardening in general. "'My husband and I are lucky enough "'to have purchased a home this summer "'that was originally owned by a master gardener. "'The landscaping is beautiful, "'but I'm learning that the previous owners "'removed quite a bit of what was originally here.'" There's a greenhouse attached to the garage that appears to have gone through some changes as well. I suspect irrigation of some kind was removed. I would appreciate if anyone could help identify some of the features and offer suggestions to any changes I should make. I live in California in Zone 9B, so I'm not sure if it's worth making a huge investment." As I've said before, I'm very new to gardening, but I'm eager to learn, and I'm primarily interested in growing edibles, and I'd love to know how I can utilize this greenhouse. Well, Ariana has a gorgeous greenhouse that she's inherited. So if you get in the listener community, you can check it out. But I think it's pretty safe to say that most folks were blown away when they saw this beautiful property that Ariana purchased and this really fun greenhouse that she gets to try. And she can have fun experimenting with that. The only other piece of advice that I would give you, Ariana, is not to look back. Don't worry about what plants the previous owner may have taken off the property Just imagine that you're starting with a fresh slate and give yourself at least one growing season to just become familiar with the property. Just experience what it's like to take care of all the plants that are currently on your property. Allow yourself to add a few things that catch your fancy when you're out shopping, when you're at nurseries, or when you're at plant sales, but take all the pressure off. I always think this first year on a new property should be less about design and more about meeting and greeting, just getting to know the property, have a few gardeners over, have the neighbors over, ask them if they can help you identify all of the plants. I think getting to know all of the plants on the property is an excellent first step. And if that takes you all summer or all growing season to accomplish, so be it. And you can view this first season as a curation time. You can ask others about the property. You can get their perspective, what they would grow in some of the open areas or open beds that you might have. And if you must look back on the fact that the previous owner removed some plant material, just know that that's very, very common. And imagine, if you will, that by removing those plants, they've given you a gift And that gift is space for you to make this garden your own. When you walk into someone else's paradise, it can take a lot of effort to try to put your own mark on that garden. In fact, it can take a very long time before it feels like it's your own. But if you have these open spaces now where you will be allowed to create and tend and be the steward, and design those spaces on your own or with help from others, I think you'll feel a greater sense of ownership and pride in what you're doing. And if your focus is edibles, it's just as likely that the previous owner did you a favor because they probably were taking ornamentals, just a suspicion that I have. And if your focus is more toward edibles, then by clearing out some of those beds, they truly did you a favor. In any case, I put a lot of comments by the images that you shared. I think you've got a gorgeous space. I think you're super lucky to have inherited such a wonderful greenhouse protected growing space and i think you're going to have a ton of fun so congratulations also in listener love this week listener beth engel said hey jennifer thanks for keeping me company while i traveled some highways and back roads in north carolina i couldn't have asked for a better traveling companion Well, thank you for that, Beth. I love to hear that you were catching up on the podcast. Patricia Chandler Newport read this post too quickly, and she thought for a moment that we were literally traveling together. And then Beth had to clarify, no, 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 I'm just catching up on the podcast. (laughs) Anyway, that was a fun post to read. You guys made me chuckle. Then over on Twitter, Craig At mypottingbench.com sent me a tweet and he said, why do you do this to us? I'm catching up on the podcast. And he just discovered the episode where I interviewed Craig Lahulier. He's in the Facebook group, by the way, but he's the author of Epic Tomatoes. It's one of my favorite books. I call it the tomato Bible. It's got beautiful photography and Craig's going through it right now. In fact, I know he went through the book in one sitting. He's truly appreciating it. And he said, How much space do you think I have for all these Toms? And of course, he's referring to tomatoes. But anyway, all I have to say, Craig, is don't blame me. This is all Craig LaHoulier's fault. He wrote a tremendous book, and he's grown way too many tomatoes. Talk about setting a record. That was a fun interview. Okay, there were two posts this week that are perfect for this Thanksgiving episode. The first was from listener Danny Perkins, who shared an image of some sweet potatoes. And he said, North Carolina is the largest sweet potato producer in the United States. You're welcome. Everyone have a wonderful Thanksgiving. And I wrote back and I said, Danny, my husband and I, thank you. We both love sweet potatoes. There's a restaurant near our house, and in the wintertime, they'll serve sweet potatoes. And of course, they're in their own little container. It's in this serving dish that they heat up in the oven, and the whole top is covered with butter and brown sugar. And we usually split that. That's kind of a treat for us. We are a huge fan of sweet potatoes. So thank you, North Carolina. Keep up the good work. And then finally, I shared a post. I was just having fun, and I said, how do you pronounce pecan, and where are you from? Boy, did this post get a lot of responses. In fact, it's something I bring up on the show today with Lynn Jindusa. and I thought, you know what? Lynn's a great person to ask. She's a daughter of the South. She's from Tennessee. She's currently living in Georgia. And so Lynn weighs in on the pecan pronunciation debate. And I have to say, reading through all of the responses has been a complete blast. And for the record, I think I say it both ways, but I try to say pecan more. Just a quick reminder that there is a phone number for the show. It's 865-333-GROW or 865-333-4769. I'd love to hear your voice. If you have questions, suggestions, comments, or feedback for the show, don't hesitate to give me a call. 865-333-GROW. All right, now it's time for the Garden News Roundup. This is a curated group of posts and articles that I've shared over the past week with the listener community in the free Facebook group, the Still Growing Podcast Group. And it's made up of a dozen different segments from updates on past guests, two articles featuring fascinating folks in the world of horticulture that I'd love to chat with and that's something I call the Dream Guest Segment. Now what's great about this for you is that you get to stay pretty informed about the news in horticulture and gardening just by listening to this part of the show each week and you can easily check out these curated articles and posts for yourself because I share all of it with the listener community in the free Facebook group, The Still growing podcast group. So if you hear something and you want to read the full article, there's no need to take notes or track down links. Just head on over to the group and join. All right, let's kick things off with a guest update. Past guest Peggy Riccio shared a great post on discovering the many uses of sage. Another timely post for Thanksgiving, Peggy is a huge fan of sage. Sage is one of the herbs that I talked to herbalist Katya Swift about. It's a great medicinal herb. But in Peggy's post, she's talking about making butter pats. And these little sage butter pats are so stinking cute. I want you to imagine a butter sandwich. And instead of buns sage leaves are the buns. So you've got butter smeared in between two sage leaves, and that's called a sage butter pat. And then when you need to use butter and you want that little hint of sage, you can just apply a sage butter pat. They're adorable, so they dress up any meal and then you get that hint of sage. You're basically creating somewhat of a compound butter, if you will, a sage butter. And Peggy shows it being used on a baked potato. It looks fantastic. It's making me hungry. So sage butter pats, that was over on Peggy's blog, pegplant.com, Peg, P-E-G, plant.com. Just look up sage butter pats. If you're in the Facebook group, you can just type in the word sage and Peggy's post will pop right up. Boy, that was a lot of peas. Okay, in sustainability, there's a post that I found that was all about getting a soil test right now. If things have not frozen yet in your area, it is the perfect time to get a soil test. This was a post that was shared out of the University of Massachusetts. And Tracy Allen, the supervisor there, said this is the best time to test your soil. Our turnaround times are super quick, and there's just not that many people submitting soil tests this time of year. But why not? If your ground is not frozen hard as a brick, it's a perfect time to go out and get a soil sample, get your soil tested. It's a great off-season or end-of-season activity. Why not? And then also in sustainability was a great article that was shared by greenbiz.com. And the title of it says everything because the title says soil matters more than you think. So that one is a worthwhile read. In continuing ed, listener Denise Pugh shared the Cracked Pot Gardener's post. Now, the Cracked Pot Gardener is based in Tennessee And it's written by Cindy Shapton. Denise says Cindy does a great job providing information on herbs and their uses. And she shared this beautiful picture of comfrey. And it's being held by the Cracked Pot Gardener. So if you're looking for another wonderful resource for herbs and medicinal uses, especially this time of year, the very thing we talked with Katja Swift about just last week, check out Tennessee's cracked pot gardener, Cindy Shapton. Thanks for that tip, Denise. That's great. Also in continuing ed, the Honey Bee Conservancy just shared a wonderful post about the leaf cutter bee. And I read this article thoroughly. It talked about all the characteristics, all of the habits, all of the wonderful aspects of leafcutter bees. And these were the three adjectives that they used to describe leafcutter bees, genial, efficient, and tireless. And so here's what I said when I introduced this post to the group. I said, genial, efficient, tireless. Sounds like the kind of bee you bring home to meet your mama. And it does, doesn't it? These are really wonderful bees. So if you have some time over the holiday weekend, check that post out. When you're in the Facebook group, just type leafcutter. This article will pop right up. It's a great resource, too, by the way. The Honey Bee Conservancy. So good. Also, in continuing ed this week, Gardenista shared a wonderful post. What they did here is they rounded up suggestions from landscape architects and designers, and then they put together these 10 design tips that you should use, especially if you're getting started. So if you're a brand new gardener, this is a great post to read. Check that out. It's from Gardenista. And you can just type in the number 10 and that post will pop up in the group. Well, I know for the most part, fall is pretty much over and done with in most of the country. Nonetheless, there was a great post that was shared in late October, early November out of the Smithsonian. And it was seven wow, oh wow, fall yard tips from Smithsonian's gardener. There's a great tip on resuscitating your lawn. In fact, Jeff Schneider, who is the horticulturist in charge of maintaining the gorgeous Smithsonian Gardens in Washington, said that he can't emphasize enough that so many gardeners have been fooled into thinking that spring is when we do the really big push in our garden. And instead, he really encourages going to the mats in the fall taking good care of our gardens, and setting ourselves up for a wonderful spring. It all happens in this final stage of the year. And this is especially true when we're talking about our lawns. Jeff said this, he said, fall is the biggest missed opportunity for most people. All the money you spend on your lawn, you should spend in the fall. Lots of great tips in this article, courtesy of Jeff. Well, I know listener Spencer Holdley had just posted a question in the group about seeds. What are people getting? What catalogs do they use? And I happened to stumble on a review of the Fedco seed catalog that was done this past month by Joe Josephson. This was actually entered as a nomination for the New Commons project on Vimeo. But I love how Joe walks us through this catalog. And I shared this post in the group. Lots to learn about the Fedco C catalog, and Joe does a great job with that. So check that out if you're interested in getting that. In Continuing Ed, I happened to run across a great article about doing an herbal steam. This is the exact thing I talked to Katya about last week. It's one of her top tips for staying healthy during cold and flu season. Ever since I had my conversation with Katya, I've done at least a handful of herbal steams during the week. My son just got home from a really long road trip, and he's all congested. I can tell that his asthma is getting triggered, and the very first thing I did is I did an herbal steam. I'm completely sold. I love it, and I shared a great article about how to do an herbal steam from herbalist.com. So that was added to the group. And then don't forget that after Thanksgiving, Katya is coming into our Facebook group and she's gonna give us a free webinar on how to do all of the things that she mentions in the show. So if you loved that episode, and I know lots of people did, jump in that Facebook group because even if you missed the live Facebook live of Katya telling us all about how to stay healthy with plants from our garden, You can always catch the replay in the group. Also in the How To DIY segment, listener Phil Coster shared another great post. This one was by Melissa Norris. And she shared on her blog how to make six different extracts, including mint extract, vanilla, lemon, and almond. And not only is it cheaper when you can make these things at home all by yourself, but they even taste better. So she walks us through completely how to do all of this and it's over at her website melissaknorris.com and that post was shared in the Facebook group thanks to Phil just this past week as a matter of fact. You know and that actually might even make a really nice Christmas present so if you want to make some extracts check out her post that could be not only a great thing to do but also a wonderful gift to give. All right Well, right on cue, thegardenglove.com shared a post called How to Make Garden Planters for Winter. And I spent a great deal of time this past week putting together all of my winter planters. I'm happy with all of them except for one. One, I didn't do a good enough job of securing all the plant material. It's in a fountain that I'm repurposing as a Christmas container and the wind kind of blew it all away. So I need to go back in there and secure it a little bit better. I'll be happy with it once I get it to stay in place. But right now it's really frustrating me. So I gotta go back out and collect all the things that blew away and then make it look gorgeous again. And then this time, really work to secure it. But there were great tips in this post that was shared by Garden Glove. The Garden Glove, it's how to make winter planters. They have recipes for these planters, easy tips and tricks, just really, really pretty. In the plant spotlight is this great post from past guest Gail Eichelberger. It's called, The Witch Hazel is Blooming and That Makes Me Happy. And I tell you what, if you aren't growing witch hazel, you're missing out. To truly inspire you, you should check out Gail's blog. She's got this gorgeous post. She took all of these beautiful pictures. And Gail writes that this year's bloom was absolutely one of the best. And here's how she describes witch hazel. And I think this description is enough to convince you to grow it. Here she says... Every branch was covered with fragrant, spidery, crepe paper flowers that never failed to charm as they furl on cold days and unfurl on warm ones. Okay, yes, I'm sold. Love Witch Hazel. It's gorgeous. Let's get some. Great post, gale. Okay. In the news this week, I stumbled on, I think, what is one of the very best websites devoted to milkweed and its history. And what is so fascinating about this particular website is all of the information, both pictures and news clippings and all kinds of commentary, personal narratives around milkweed, specifically the processing of milkweed during World War II in Petoskey, Michigan. And here's what I wrote when I shared this with the group. I said, I've had so much fun looking through the photos and the archives on this website. My favorite image is of the Emmett County Fairgrounds during World War II. Just imagine a field of milkweed with thousands of hanging bags filled with collected milkweed pods. And here's this fascinating excerpt that was talking about the use of milkweed, and it was shared in one of the newspaper clippings that they feature on the site. Here's what it said. Patent writes, To the process are held by Dr. Boris A. Berkman, a Chicago physician whose experiments have been reported to show that a life jacket of three pounds of floss content is six times as buoyant as cork and would keep a man floating in water for more than 100 hours and that the floss is warmer than wool while being six times lighter. To obtain the amount required by the Navy will mean that we will be harvesting milkweed pods from 50,000 acres of wildlands in northern Michigan. Farmers will receive free seed and payments to put the crop under cultivation next year. If you want to have just some fun browsing around on a website this weekend, that's the one I'd spend a little bit of time on because it's truly, truly fascinating. If you love history and you love gardening, you're going to fall in love with that website. They've done a great job. I can't even tell you the name of it because it's someone's name and I don't want to mess it up. So what you can do is the next time you're in the Facebook group, just type in WWII for World War II, and then that article on the World War II milkweed story will pop up, and you can just link, go directly to that website from that link. That'll be great. That's fun. Okay, also in the news, there's something that is now open at the Natural History Museum in London that gardeners should enjoy, and it's the Wildlife Photographer of the Year Exhibition. And the picture that I especially liked was taken in Romania. It's called The Tapestry of Life. It was the winner in the category of plants and fungi. And it was taken by Doran Bofan. And this image of the forest floor surrounded by all kinds of fungi and plants. It was just unreal. Beautiful photography. And the pictures having to do with plants are incredible. So check that out. Also in the news was something that got shared on OregonLive.com and I've been meaning to tell you about it. And then every week there's other stories that kind of bump it out. And so I want to make sure that I tell you this week, but there's a drink that's called Perry. And apparently it's the cider lover's drink that you've never heard of. Just a clue, the name will tell you what's in it. So Perry is an alcoholic beverage that's made by fermenting pears, and it's called Perry. And people who like it say that it's cider's underrated and undiscovered cousin. But it is not to be confused with pear cider. That's a drastically different drink. Perry is made with 100% pears, and pear cider is typically an apple cider that's sweetened with pear juice, but Perry is all pear, and it's alcoholic, so keep that in mind, but if you get a chance to check out Perry, especially if you're over in Oregon, I say give it a go and let us know what you think. The Telegraph shared a great post this week. And it caught my eye because it had a beautiful image of an oak tree, and then under the oak tree was a stag who was just kind of strolling by this massive oak on a landscape. And the title of the article was called, Why England Has So Many Oaks and How They Became an Unlikely National Symbol. I liked this article, and it caught my attention because I've read so many articles about all these different super old oak trees in England that people have been fighting to save over the past decade or over the past 20 years. So this post caught my attention for that very reason. And I learned something here. The point that was made in this article is that England has more ancient native oak trees than the rest of Europe combined. That's a lot of oak trees. It took a Dutch gentleman who was working at Kew to try to figure out why that is. Why are there so many oak trees in England? Part of the reason is thanks to Charles I. In about 1634, he ordered the replication of a deer park, complete with the planting of thousands of oaks. And that has made a ton of difference. So there you go, Charles I. Also in news, Seoul, Korea, is opening up a highway overpass that's being transformed into an elevated public sky garden. So it's this huge urban garden. And what they did is they took an old highway overpass and they have completely transformed it. It's a revitalization project. And it's following in the footsteps of New York's High Line. And it's a new elevated public park. And it looks pretty great. At the beginning of the month, Treehugger.com shared a very important post. It was simply called, You can boost happiness by simply observing nature around you. And this completely underscores some of what I've talked to Katie Dubow about when we were talking about the 2018 Garden Trends Report, which, of course, is completely dedicated to mental wellness and the importance of spending time in nature to promote better health, better mental wellness. So this article was kind of hand-in-glove with that. And what I liked about it is... They were talking about a study they did. And in this study, they had one group of people document how bits of nature in their day-to-day made them feel. Now, what was cool is that what was defined as nature was very broad. So it could be anything not human built, a house plant, a dandelion that's grown in a crack in a sidewalk, sun through a window. And what the people in the study had to do is if they saw something that was nature that caught their eye, they took a picture of it. And then they wrote a quick note about how it made them feel. And then the other group did the very same thing, but with human-made objects. Long story short, the difference between the two groups was significant. The nature groups, the groups that were able to enjoy little bits of nature throughout their day, they were statistically significantly more happy. And I got a kick out of how this article ended. It said, so if you can, go ahead and do your forest bathing. But if all you have is a dandelion and a sidewalk crack, look at it. Think about how it makes you feel. And don't be surprised if you notice your spirits lift. Amen to that. Okay, in the Dream Guest segment this week, there was a post that was featured over in Funny How Flowers Do That. It's a blog that's based in the UK. And it was a Q&A that was done with Rona Wielden. And Rona is the founder of this award-winning blog called Flower Rona. And in this post, they ask her a bunch of questions, one of which was what was her favorite flower, but others included what's inspiring her when she's working with flowers, her favorite memories of flowers from throughout her life, and then how she's helping people who love flowers, people who are passionate about flowers across England To follow their dreams and work in the field of flowers. And by field, I mean profession. Now, before I forget to tell you, the pictures in this post are gorgeous. And something else that I really liked when I was reading this post had to do with how Rona came to work in the floral industry. Here was her answer I'll cut a very long story short. The trigger for me entering the world of flowers full-time came about after a spate of illness and a conversation with my husband over 10 years ago when he could see that I wasn't enjoying my job in the city. He asked me, what do you really love? And the word flowers was the answer. That same day, I signed up for a floristry evening course. Wow. Does that resonate with you? I think that's pretty spectacular. That's why Rona Wielden made the Dream Guest segment this week. She's got tons of great answers, tons of inspiring, insightful commentary that I think made this article very worthwhile and would make her a great guest on the show. In Science this week, I shared a post, and this is how I shared it in the group. Fungicides? Nope. When Cornell scientists analyzed bumblebee population declines and range contractions, they expected to find stressors like changes in land use, geography, or insecticides. Those would be the obvious ones. Instead, they found a shocker, and it was fungicides. And the net-net of this article is that they're discovering that fungicides make insecticides and diseases even worse for bees. So stop using fungicides in your garden. The BBC shared a great post for Science, and it was called, Orchid gives up the secrets of its success. So this research is all about the evolution of the orchid family. Which entails this spectacular evolution into the roughly 28,000 species of orchid that we know today. I had no idea it was that vast. 28,000 species of orchid. Holy cats. Hey, speaking of bees, I should have grouped this one with that other one about fungicides. But this was a post that was shared on Ray Cannon's Nature Notes blog, and it had to do with bumblebee grooming. And it was just super cute because he had great close-ups of these little bumblebees grooming themselves on flowers. In fact, my favorite one is of this bumblebee grooming himself on the flower head of an aster. That is just a stunning picture. Ray's even got a picture of a bumblebee with a small yellow pollen basket. That's cool, you don't see that every day. So great images on this site. And then lots of great information about bumblebee grooming. And it turns out they have impeccable grooming. If you think cats have great grooming, you should read about what bees do. It's pretty fascinating. In shopping this week, Patricia Chandler Newport in the listener community shared a great post. It was a sale offer that she saw and thought of the listeners of the Still Growing podcast. And this is for Birds and Blooms magazine. There's a sale going on right now. It's seven bucks for one year. And guess what? It's completely risk-free. If you don't like the magazine, After a year even, you can get your money back. You can get your seven bucks back, then you can go to the coffee shop and get yourself a coffee. How about that? All right. In Recipes is a post that was called, This Bizarre British Sauce Your Thanksgiving Turkey Needs. And apparently, it's called Bread Sauce. So if you think about Thanksgiving... Many of us will probably be eating very traditional foods tomorrow, including turkey, including things like green bean casserole. Well, if you're having a British Christmas dinner, then you're going to probably be eating bread sauce, apparently. And what I liked about this post is that the author had come to the States, and she was introducing bread sauce to her friends, and the initial reaction was, yuck, I don't want to try that. But then... when they tried it, they were completely smitten and they loved it. And here's what she wrote when she was talking about making bread sauce. And this was over on the blog kitchen.com. Here's what she said. I always end up having the last laugh because whenever I've managed to persuade an American to taste this bizarre concoction, they immediately turn into raving fans. She usually brings some when she gets to go to Thanksgiving dinners. So there you go. You want to add a little bit of a British tradition to your Thanksgiving? Make bread sauce and bring it to your next holiday gathering. See what people think about it. Could be fun. In inspiration, Wayfair shared a post of a boho eclectic living room And one of the prominent features in this new living room, in addition to the fact that the room was pink, which apparently will be a hot color for living rooms next year, the other standout feature is the fact that botanicals, botanical prints, plants, houseplants of all kinds play a huge role in interiors for 2018. So up with botanicals when it comes to decorating indoors. Finally, an inspiration, one of my favorite folks to follow on Twitter is Emma Mitchell. She has written a book recently called Making Winter. She's an amazing artist. She does fantastic drawings, botanical illustrations, and she'll share sample pages from her journal, which I totally get a kick out of seeing. And she shared one this past Wednesday, and it was just a post on Twitter that said, Happy Wednesday. And then she shared this beautiful illustration. It was gorgeous. So if you're looking for someone fun to follow on Twitter, Emma Mitchell is your gal. Mitchell is spelled M-I-T-C-H-E-L-L. And if you want to just quickly link to that the next time you're in the Facebook group, just type in Emma. This post will pop right up. All right. In quotables. I wanted to make sure that I got a chance to share this poem called November by Clyde Watson, since November's just about over, and the next episode that'll get published will actually get published on December 1st. So I'm getting this in in the nick of time. So I'll read this one to you first, and then I'll read a series of quotables that have to do with my conversation with Lynn Gendusa. But first, this poem about November by Clyde Watson. Okay, here we go. November. November comes and November goes with the last red berries and the first white snows with night coming early and dawn coming late and ice in the bucket and frost by the gate the fires burn, and the kettles sing, and earth sinks to rest until next spring. All right, these next quotables I thought would be helpful for you because Lynn brings them up during our conversation. The first is the lyrics to a song called Autumn Leaves. It was sung by Edith Piaf. Some of you might be familiar with the song. But even so, it might be helpful to hear the lyrics to this song. So here they are. Autumn Leaves. The falling leaves drift by the window. The autumn leaves all red and gold. I see your lips. The summer kisses. The sunburned hands I used to hold. Since you went away, the days grow long. And soon I'll hear old winter songs. But I miss you most of all, my darling, when autumn leaves start to fall. Autumn Leaves was originally a French song, it was written in the 1940s. Lots of different people have sung this song. And again, as I said before, it's something that Lynn will mention during our conversation. Then another song that Lynn will mention is The Hymn in the Garden. I'll tell you a little bit about the story behind the hymn, and then I'll read the words to you. The hymn was written by a man named C. Austin Miles. He looked like a little southern colonel. He had a white mustache and always a little small flower in his lapel. He was funny. He had a big sense of humor, and he was very dry, and he was extremely bright. He attended the Philadelphia College of Pharmacy and the University of Pennsylvania, but in 1892, he abandoned his career as a pharmacist and wrote his first gospel song. That set him on his path to his new career, which he enjoyed for 37 years. He was an editor and manager of a music publishing company. Miles loved photography. And one day in March 1912, he was developing film. He was working in his dark room. He was waiting for the process to complete. And he picked up his Bible and it fell open to John chapter 20. And in that chapter, he reads the story of Mary coming to the garden to visit the tomb of Jesus she looks in the tomb, Jesus isn't there, her heart just sinks. But then Jesus, standing nearby, speaks to her, she recognizes him, and her heart leaps for joy. And in that moment, Miles imagines that he was present with them in the garden, that he was there. And then he wrote the words to the hymn known as In the Garden. In fact, he said it basically spilled out of him that the words and the phrases were almost instantaneous. He quickly wrote a poem, and then that same evening, he wrote the music. And it's the hymn In the Garden that Lynn will talk about during our conversation. But here's the poem that became the basis for the hymn, and it's called In the Garden. I come to the garden alone, while the dew is still on the roses, and the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses. And he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own, And the joy we share as we tarry there none other has ever known. He speaks, and the sound of his voice is so sweet the birds hush their singing. And the melody that he gave to me within my heart is ringing. I'd stay in the garden with him, though the night around me be falling. But he bids me go. Through the voice of woe, his voice to me is calling. Well, that's the Garden News Roundup for this week's show. Just a reminder, you can get all of these posts with links and bonus content in your Facebook feed if you join the listener community in the free Facebook group, the Still Growing Podcast group. I'd love to meet you in the group. With that, let's transition to the topic of today's show, Thanksgiving in the Garden with Lynn Gendusa. Before Lynn started writing professionally, she worked as an interior designer for 43 years. A little over two years ago, Lynn was planning to retire, or so she thought, but her boss had other plans. After submitting a three-part story for her hometown newspaper, the LaGrange Daily News in LaGrange, Georgia, she suddenly found herself writing a weekly column for this very paper every single Thursday, and over two years have passed since that first story was published, and she never has missed a deadline. Lynn often finds inspiration in the natural world. One of her most recent articles was called Being Thankful for Falling Leaves, which inspired Lynn to consider love and loss as equal blessings. In today's episode, you'll hear Lynn talk about how she pulls her stories from closely observing and listening to the world around her. Lynn has a knack for telling stories that tug at the heartstrings and give us a respite from the go, go, go of our days. I always think gardeners have a soft spot for nostalgia and simplicity. Lynn's writing offers both. This isn't a pure gardening episode, but I think it's one gardeners will enjoy. In the States today, it's Thanksgiving, and I can't think of any guest better suited to have on the show today than Lynn Gendusa. I think you'll agree, she's got a thankful heart. So, I always felt like this was a little bit of a, a divine nudge. That's oftentimes how I find guests for my show, is I'll read something or see something and then be like, oh, I'd like to talk to this person.
1: So. You know, it is amazing. You you really it. And I even had someone ask me at the at the news one day. The receptionist I went down to the to Show, the Show News, and I needed to pick up some papers. And I had driven down; it's about an hour and a half from here. And I walked in, and she said, "I have a question." She said, "There are people that are trying to get published all the time. And how did you do that that fast?" I said, "I had nothing to do with it." It just was, it just fell in my lap. I mean, it literally, it was what I was supposed to be doing. You know, it's just what I was supposed to be doing.
0: And you're still doing, uh, you're still doing one? Every week. Every week. Every week. Every Thursday. Okay. And every Thursday. Okay. And how did that get started? Did they approach you? Did you approach them? What was the key?
1: Oh, actually, it was about uh, a little over two years ago. Uh, you know, I told you I had retired, and the good Lord just, I, it, it, it was really comical in a way, because what <laughs> happened was I knew I was always going to write one day. I had had a professor in college say, Lynn, you need to change your major. You need to be writing, blah, blah, blah. And I said, well, that's going to be a problem because I'm getting married, and I need to go to work. And that's—he you know, so just he just was so disappointed. And so then um, afterwards, I would see this professor, uh, Dr. Freeman was his name, in town, and he would say, have you ever finished writing those stories you started? I'd go, no, but I will one day. And so I always knew that I wanted, that was my first love. And then I was an interior designer for 43 years. And oh. I—and when I would write, when I would write an op-ed, or I would write something, it would get published, so I would think, "Okay, I'm seriously going to do this one of these days." But writing doesn't pay a whole lot, as you well know. And I had to yeah. raise three children,
0: yeah. So
1: you know, so those children can't—they have to eat. I mean, there's—they <laughs> they do. And I was a single mother, so they did have to eat. So I decided I was going to retire. I married, and I was able to retire. And so, right before I retired, I would go to bed at night. And I, I was finishing this great big house, and I thought, oh, I'm going to sit down. I'm After I finish this great big house, I'm going to lay on the beach somewhere for a month, and then I'll come up with something to do. But no, 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 no that wasn't going to work. Because every night, I would go to bed, and it would be like somebody tapping me on the shoulder, going, you need to write a story. You need to write a story. And I would go, could you just leave me alone <laughs> at night? And, I mean, it was kind of comical. And I, it would just drive me crazy. So one morning, I got up, and I walked to get my cup of coffee in my kitchen, and it was—I said—I said, I, said I, 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 literally said it out loud. I said, God, if you want me to write a story, you're going to have to give me the first sentence. <laughs> and I poured my coffee, and it was um, your dad's 1957 black mercury. And I thought, what in the world? So we had moved from Tennessee to Georgia when I was 15, and we came into LaGrange, Georgia, in a black mercury. And I wrote a story about coming from Tennessee to LaGrange, Georgia, and how it changed my life. And it was a a three-part story, and I just happened to think I'm going to send it to the newspaper, the hometown newspaper. So I sent it to them. They decided to publish it and put it in three different papers. Unbelievable. And then after that, I wrote a follow-up article. And then after that, the editor said to me, "Um, do you have any other things? I said, do you need a columnist? And he said, you know, we've been receiving complaints about not having some, some hometown good news. And I think we, we could use you. How often can you write? Can you write once every two weeks? And I would say, no, I can write every week like that, like being funny. And he said, okay. And that was as simple as that. Ugh. And I've never missed a deadline, never missed a time, every Thursday for over, over two years now.
0: How much do you like it on a scale of 1 to 10? What's that? How much do you enjoy writing on a scale of 1 to 10?
1: Oh, 10. Oh, that's great. And uh, most of the time, I never know what I'm going to write about. So I knew that, you know, in, in, you know, in my opinion, I, I'm just like the secretary. <laughs> type what I'm supposed to be typing. <laughs> I'm just the secretary. <laughs> that's it. I figure God's got it all. He's he got me up out of bed and made me start writing. So I guess he wants to say a few things. That's all I got to say. So I just, <laughs> I'm just a good secretary. <laughs>
0: I love it. You're God's secretary. Well, you got a good boss.
1: (laughs) So anyway, (laughs) definitely a part of my life.
0: You were featured, I did an Easter special, and it was based on this article that you had written, and it was about the legend of the dogwood tree. Right. And you wanted to call the piece A Forgetful Daughter, which I loved that title as well. Right. Right. Right, But the original piece that I had read about you was something I think you had shared on your Facebook page. I don't know how. Oh, you know what? I read the article initially in the LaGrange Daily News. That's how I found Mm -hmm. it. And then I looked you up on Facebook and reached out to you. And then we've become friends. and, And I see your posts from time to time. And it's just been fun to stay in touch. But I still remember how I felt reading that story. Um, The story was called Thanksgiving in a Garden. You're telling the story about your dad's funeral. Was that hard for you to write?
1: You know, I remember when I started the story thinking, I don't know where I'm going with the story exactly. And then when I started getting into it, it really... It really wasn't that hard for me to write. It became more of a joyful thing because I remembered some of the funny things my father did, and and I think the part of the story about me looking in the oven and seeing my father's eyes in my face—I think that made me a little sad because I missed him. But the story is is really about being thankful for people that have come in your life and that are, even though they may not be there any longer, you you carry them with you and you love them, you know, forever. And so, and he was such a, a jolly person. And he, and I think it, I hope I reflected that in the story. Yes. I and, hope I did.
0: And was he a gardener? My
1: dad, let me tell you, my dad was so funny. My grandmother was a gardener and she, she could grow anything. His mother was quite a gardener. And dad, what he loved to do more than anything was mow a grass. <laughs> he mow a grass. I mean he had that grass looking good and if it got if it was more than an inch longer than what it was supposed to be, he would be mowing that grass. <laughs> and <laughs> so I always said she would do the gardening, daddy would be mowing the grass, that's for sure. But he that was his thing. That's what he loved to do. Definitely love to do that, but she had beautiful plants, and we used to call them snowball trees in Tennessee. Okay, I, you know they were just they were these white, big, huge balls on. It wasn't really hydrangeas; it was like a hydrangea, and I, I can't think of the name. them. It's just slipped my mind right now, but I, I, they were just lovely. And then when they would fall, when the le- when the little petals would fall off, it would look like snow. Uh-huh. And they, she just loved those. Those were her favorites.
0: Uh-huh. Well, it sounds like your dad had a huge personality. Huge. Over-the-top huge.
1: (laughs) He really did. (laughs) He was voted most witty in high school, and it never changed. I promise you, never changed throughout his whole entire life. mother would roll her eyes at him most of the time.
0: (laughs) Well, it's (laughs) always good to have somebody that pins you down to earth so you don't float away. Right,
1: exactly. Mm -hmm.
0: Did he like music?
1: Oh, my goodness, yes. He he loved music. He played albums all of his life. He loved to listen to music. And even when he, in the last year of his life, he lived in with my mother in a senior living facility, uh, not assisted living, just independent senior facility. And he was the one that would go downstairs. They had a console stereo in the hallway, and he would be the one that had that. Stereo going all day long for everybody to hear the old songs from the 1940s and 50s. And and he would play that music all the time. And my grandmother, his mother, she played an old pump organ. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was a pedal organ, and she would play, which is a very hard instrument to play. And she had it in her home, and she would play that organ all the time. And her favorite song was In the Garden. Oh, really? I remember sitting on the bench and listening to her play that song over and over again.
0: Lots of good memories for you.
1: Yes, very much so. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Very good.
0: Well, why don't we start by having you read your article. It's called Thanksgiving in the Garden. It was originally published last year, and it's being republished in some new publications this year. So if people want to track it down, they can probably find it either on the LaGrange Daily News website or just by searching for Thanksgiving in the Garden by Lynn Gendusa.
1: There you go. The turkey is prepared, the casseroles are in the oven, and the pies are cooling on the counter. Folks are gathered in the living room and the noise is accelerating as their hunger deepens. The sounds of children screeching and adults laughing emanate through the house the same way the scent of a roasting turkey wastes its way through rooms. The sweet potato souffle and I have a quiet moment as I watch the marshmallows transition into pale shades of gold. As I do, I catch a glimpse of myself in the glass. I see a reflection that is a blend of my parents. My eyes are my father's, his father, and my great-grandfather's. These inherited eyes are captured in photos that date back for well over a century. It is the year 2000, the first Thanksgiving without my father. I am not counting Thanksgiving 1999 because I believe he still joined us at the table that memorable day. On November 22, 1999, Ray Walker left this earth. He passed peacefully, gratefully, and humbly into the arms of angels. He was 85, married to mother for 60 years, and had survived the death of his son by 18 months. We took my dad home from Georgia to be laid to rest on a barren hillside in the mountains of Tennessee where the names etched in granite Sprung from the ground of those he knew and loved, including his only son. There were many things my father adored in life golf, hardwood trees, pecan pie,
0: and my mother.
1: Not necessarily in that order, except for maybe the golf. Mom was never too sure about that one. His service was on November 24th, the day before Thanksgiving. He had wanted it to be brief and by the gravesite only. However, a cold wind whirled in the mountains that day, so we held a little service in the chapel of the funeral home my cousin owned. None of us were prepared to have a formal funeral, so I quickly wrote a eulogy and told the Kate sisters to play the piano and sing. Mary and Elaine Kate were the daughters of my parents' best friends since childhood extremely talented musicians that had no problem jumping to the task at hand. Anything specific you want us to play, Elaine asked. After a brief pause, I responded, the Tennessee Waltz. The girls looked puzzled. Mom just looked at me and then a slight smile lit her grieving face. Well, Dad loved music. He loved to whistle a tune and it was usually the Tennessee Waltz. It was his favorite, I stated. The song was played sweetly on the piano. Afterwards, Elaine put her hands on the keyboard as Mary softly sang an old hymn in the garden. My mother took my hand. It was my dad's mother's favorite song. Throughout his life, when he heard that hymn, a tear would cascade down his cheek. The Kate sisters chose it randomly with no idea how special it had been for all of us. I love the way that God often shows up to tell you that life is continuing and that you will see your loved ones again, possibly in a garden somewhere. The following day was Thanksgiving. Our family that had gathered to say goodbye to my father would once again scatter to other parts of the country. However, it was Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. Why not, before we say our own goodbyes, together for a meal? Where was the one-word unified answer? There is a chain of restaurants that originated in Tennessee, perfectly named the Cracker Barrel. They promote down-home country cooking with old-time candies and hometown gifts. They might be open. Do they ever close, one of the kids asked. As the group walked through the doors, eyes widened to take us all in. A sweet lady with the same Tennessee twang I have escorted us to the largest round table Cracker Barrel owned. There was no turkey on the platter as the centerpiece, but they were serving the bird with all the fixings. We started telling stories about how Daddy would sneak in the kitchen and steal deviled eggs so Mama wouldn't spot him. Then when he sat down at the table and had more, he would wink at all of us when Mama wasn't looking. Stories continued about my humorous father and his good old horse sense. Stories of family time shared and the losses experienced. Stories whirled around the table as the wind whirled around the mountain. Stories that warmed our spirits and dried our eyes. In the Tennessee Cracker Barrel that day, I realized I was watching the ever-changing face of a family. As in all families, members come and go. Our mighty patriarch was gone. Can I interest you in some dessert? The waitress interrupted my thoughts. She continued. We have pumpkin and apple pie with ice cream, but my favorite is the pecan pie. We all smiled, glancing at one another. Oh, I will definitely have the pecan pie, we shouted at the same time. Laughter filled the table because we all knew that Daddy was sitting among us that day, enjoying one last piece of his favorite dessert before disappearing behind the pearly gates. I took the sweet potato souffle to the table, where anxious faces were now gathered. Across from me sat one of my daughters. Her long blonde hair framed her face as her eyes met mine. The eyes were the same as those reflected in the oven door those that grace the century-old photos and the father's face. As her eyes gazed into mine, I could swear I saw Dad sitting at a table in a beautiful heavenly garden, having a piece of pecan pie with his family while the Tennessee waltz softly played in the background. Thank you, God, for the eternal gift of family.
0: Uh, thank you, Lynn. That was perfect. Thank you. That was great. That was great. You know, there were a couple of things that, as you were going through that, I had to chuckle. One of the things that I had posted in the Facebook group for the listener community this week was, how do you say pecan? (laughs) Because there's so many different ways to say it. And how do you say it, Lynn? I listened to you. You said pecan. Is that how you normally say it?
1: Yes. Yes. When I came, a lot of people, it's, it goes by the states. I mean, some states say pecan, and it, that just never sounded good to me. <laughs> and I know that when we moved, <laughs> <laughs> <you know? laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, you know, pecan is just seems to be more like what it should be. <laughs>
0: it just sounds nicer. But in Tennessee,
1: I know. And you would think Tennessee would not be pecan, but it is. And I think it just has to do with the state that you're living in. <laughs> but, and you go from state to state, and they correct you all the time. You know, I know that when there's a fish in Georgia, in Tennessee, there's a fish, and it's called in Tennessee crappie. Okay? C-R-O. It sounds like it's C-R-O-P-E, I guess. And in Tennessee it, and in Georgia, it's crappie.
0: Okay. And I'm going,
1: okay, which one do you think it should be? <laughs>
0: Hello! <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! And I looked
1: it up in the dictionary, and both were correct. And both were right. like,
0: okay, as they yes. often are. Well, I was yeah, teasing. I, I was teasing a my question. folks a, a couple of years ago because my mom says coyote. She doesn't say coyote. She'll say coyote. The coyotes were out tonight, and I just I, it always makes me laugh because it just sounds like something from the farm, you know.
1: I know, I know. When I first moved from Georgia to Tennessee, my accent was even worse than it is now. (laughs) And and the first person I started dating as a 15-year-old, he was the the son of the superintendent of schools, okay? (laughs) We went to church one time, and we would always go to church on Sunday evening, and we would go over to his house. And his dad would say, when I would walk in the house— Lynn, come sit down. We need to talk. And I would go sit down with Dr. Lancaster was his name. Dr. Lancaster said, okay, let's work on this. I go, okay, I'm ready. How do you say, how do you say T-O-W-E-L? And I would go, Dr. Lancaster, I have it. I've got it this time. And I would try so hard, and it came out as Kyle Tile. <laughs> <laughs> I could not say towel to save my life. <laughs> and he would just, he would say every Sunday, okay, you ready? And <laughs> I would go, yes, sir. I've been practicing. <laughs> He'd just roll his eyes, he gave up.
0: <laughs> oh.
1: Took me forever to, to at least try to say some words with two syllables instead of one.
0: And could you hear the difference when you were saying it or you probably couldn't even hear it?
1: No, I felt like it was all to saying it correctly.
0: <laughs> oh
1: well. And he would he would go so sweaty he'd say Tao Wall <laughs> or Tao Well or you know, and I T O W D O D and I would go, Oh didn't I say that like that? No <laughs>
0: Well, I asked my kids when we were talking about this pecan question that I'd posed in the group, I said, how do you guys say it? And all four of them, none of them could agree on how to say it. But I teased my youngest and I said, yeah, you know, a pecan is something you keep under your bed. <laughs> and he <Yeah>. just <laughs> died laughing. <laughs> I go, like some of them are going,
1: okay, okay, wouldn't you rather say pecan and pe- and than a pecan? <laughs> I mean, really? <laughs> if your state says it like Pete and y'all need to go to Congress and get that change. <laughs> <You know? laughs>
0: I wonder if we could agree on that as a country, right? Could we agree on? <laughs> really? I don't know. I don't I mean, know if we just could. Really? <laughs> Honestly. I
1: don't know. We'd probably have a fight.
0: Honestly. It. Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, I have to tell you too, I, I don't know if I shared this with you the last time we talked, but when I read that that um, that article that you wrote about your dad. I think I was singing and humming the Tennessee waltz for a straight two weeks after that. Do you find you do the same thing?
1: Oh, my goodness. Uh, the, that song, I will wind up humming a lot. And when I go to Tennessee, when I drive up through the mountains and go home, you know to where where he they are buried and where my family. Both sides of my family are from the same little town. I was I will find myself in my mind going, you know, singing the Tennessee Waltz on the drive through the mountains because, you know, Daddy loved it. I was raised with it, and it is a beautiful song. I was dancing with my darling to the Tennessee Waltz. It's a beautiful song, and and he just loved it. And he whistled. He had he could whistle like no one. I. He, he could whistle a tune, and, you know, he would try to teach me, and that was like Dr. Lancaster teaching me how to say towel. I mean, it just wasn't <laughs> never going to happen. I could never whistle like that. The <laughs> same thing. I couldn't get it. But he, he, he loved it, and it's a beautiful song, and um, so many people did record it.
0: Oh, they did. Well, and, mm-hmm. and so you had the, the kind of the one-two punch. You had the Tennessee Waltz, and then you had In the Garden. The hem, I did. The I did in the garden. Mm-hmm.
1: And what was amazing about in the garden, you know, when when somebody passes away and and your emotions are going, you have so many thoughts going around and, you know, we had to hurry up and put a, a quick little funeral together because of the weather and, and my mother couldn't think of a thing and I was going blank. And so when they asked me what to play and I said the Tennessee Waltz, it kind of shook everybody because it wasn't a hymn. And then I said, I, Elaine, I just can't think of anything else. And my brain's just gone. You know, I mean, I, just the Tennessee Waltz do that. was good. And so um, when she started playing that second song, In the Garden, I'm thinking, oh, my word. Of all the hymns she could have chosen, she chose the one that was my dad's mother's favorite and the one he, we all listened to. And it was the one that would always get to his heart. He just—it would just make him tear up every single time. And that's what they played. That you know, some I always am amazed at people that don't see the coincidences, or just think things are just a coincidence instead of thinking that there is some divine intervention in here, and that there is there 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 are. So many things that happen around us that we just are not looking at properly, and that we need to look at as it's God walking through your life. And I think a lot of people just chalk things up to coincidence when they're not at all. Mm-hmm. They really aren't.
0: And there is always an element of that in all of the things that you write.
1: Right, there is. Um, I, I just wrote an article this week uh, called um, Autumn Leaves. And it, it was also about a song. I don't know what I, I'm not even musical, so what can I say? But it was about a song, another one that my dad listened to all the time. And um, when I started writing it, what made me write it? I heard a leaf blower blowing outside my window, and it was driving me crazy, and I couldn't write. And then the leaves were everywhere, and they were falling in a rush past my window. And I'm thinking, Oh, Falling Leaves, and I I started remembering a story about my dad telling me, because I always thought it was the saddest song I had ever heard. I go, Dad, why do you play that song all the time? It's so sad. It's about losing someone. And he said, well, you're looking at it as a loss, and I'm looking at it as love. I'll never forget that. He listened to that song as love and not about loss. Mm. And I started thinking about that, and I I said to myself, that's I need to write a column about instead of being thank you know instead of dreading the holidays because we've lost so much, we need to be thankful that we had them to lose. Mm. So the love is more important than the loss. And so that's what the article was about. <laughs> and, and 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 sure enough, when I got through with it, I looked at it and I said to myself, I didn't write that. That was just, how did I go from a leaf blower to this, you know? And I said, so I I said, God, there must be somebody out there that needs to be reminded that we need to be thankful in all things and, or that they they can get through the loss by remembering the love. And um, sure enough, I, uh, I think they put that article in the paper last night. It went out for circulation today. And I have gotten emails saying, thank you so much. I needed this today. And and if that's not divine intervention, I don't know what it is. (laughs) That's exactly right. Not many people can go from a leaf blower to that.
0: No. How many times do you hear from people about, you know, connecting with them, you know, touching their heart or making them cry? You have to hear this all the time.
1: I do. I do get, uh, matter of fact, I went home to LaGrange for a reunion, a little class reunion, and we have a, um, for, for our class from high school, and we have a very famous artist from our class who is in the Country Music Hall of Fame. He wrote so many songs for Garth Brooks, Dolly Parton. Um, he's just very, very famous. And he wrote, um, he wrote, uh, Unanswered Prayers. He wrote When the Thunder Rolls. <laughs> I mean, he's very famous, and he was putting on a little concert for, uh, for about 150 people at the college in LaGrange, a very intimate concert with two other artists, When it was sponsored by the Georgia Songwriters Association. And he, he started singing these songs, there was about 81 of us that had graduated that were at this concert And then I, I, it was so funny because I sat down and people were coming up to me and saying, you know, thank you so much for for writing. You know, you you just, it makes us feel so good that you're writing these stories. And and a lot of these were people that I knew. And I sat down and there was a lady behind me that kept looking at me and she just kept looking at me, looking at (laughs) me. And Finally, she gets up and she walks up to me and she said, are you the writer? And I said, I guess I am. She said, she said, just thank you so much. She said, I look forward to your article every week. And she said, they just inspire me and make me feel so much better. You know, and she took my hand and she held it. And I, it just made me feel so good because if you write something, you really never know what people, how they feel about it unless they write you back or they post something on Facebook and tell you how much they enjoyed it. Um, and when they, when when you, when you realize as a writer, and you're writing, trying to write an inspirational story or trying to write something meaningful, that you're really doing it so that you're helping somebody else out there is gonna. You don't do it for yourself. Mm-hmm. You do it because you want somebody else to be inspired. Like I've written articles about very personal things, and people say, "You're so brave to put that out there." I go. It's not bravery, it's taking your experience that you've gone through to see if you can help somebody else get through it better than you did. Yeah, right, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and that's what you do. That's what, and I think that's what we all need to do is to take whatever we've learned, and if we think it's a good thing, pass it on,
0: pass it on, pass it on. That's right, that's right. Well, Lynn, you have a wonderful Thanksgiving.
1: Thank you so much, and thank you for reading my stories, and please keep doing so, and I hope to talk to you again soon.
0: Well, and if people want to find your story, uh, we know for sure they'll be able to find it on Go60.us. Yes,
1: Go60.us. Then the Lagrange Daily News. I think they if they if they key in my name in the search engine, just put Lynn and most of my stories will come up. They may have to go through ten pages because I do write one weekly and have for over two years. So I think they will be able to find it. And I am going to send a new copy to my editor there, so maybe he can post it and they'll make it a little bit easier to find. But. I'd, I'd encourage them to read a, any story they would like. If they do that, they can read any of them.
0: Oh, that sounds great. Now, they do have, it looks like when I go over to the LaGrange Daily News website, they have a an e-edition. So people can go to the e-edition and check that out and be able to see the articles. So that's great. Right,
1: right. And you can also, usually every Thursday... Or every Wednesday night, they will post my article online. It's always online. And you don't have to go to the e-edition. You, you, oh, okay. If you want to just read my article, you can just go every week and just key it in on a Wednesday night after about 6 o'clock or Thursday morning. It will be there on Thursday morning.
0: Oh, that's great. So Thursday morning is yeah. the day.
1: Yeah, Thursday morning is the day. Okay. Exactly. Unless it's a big holiday or something. As matter of fact, I, I told my editor the other day, I said, I come to think of it, I said, next week's Thanksgiving, are you running a paper on Thanksgiving? Yeah. And he said, we are deciding that today. And I said, well, do I, what do you want me to do? He said, I need your article. He said, do you need to write? I said, okay. <laughs> so it may, it may go in early. So I thought I might have a break, but no. <laughs> I have to go back upstairs and ask God what he wants to write about this time since
0: I'm just a secretary. <laughs> That's right. I love it. Um, well, Lynn, do you know, I just found when I went into the LaGrange Daily News, if people go into the calendar and look last year on Thanksgiving, on the 24th, on that Thursday, if they mm. just go to the very next page, they'll see this original posting, your original article. Good. Yeah, good. Perfect. That's good.
1: Well, I'm glad you found it. Very good. Yeah, yeah. That's good. But thank you so much, Jennifer. I enjoy it. I enjoy doing this. It's a lot of fun. Good talking to you.
0: Oh, Lynn. Well, it's always great to talk to you. I know we're going to be talking again. If you write something and it's garden related, give me a shout out. We'll get you out of the show. Okay,
1: that sounds great, Jennifer. Thank you so much.
0: All right, Lynn. Have a happy holiday season.
1: You too. You too. Take
0: care. All righty. Bye-bye.
1: Bye-bye.
0: Well, that's it for the show today featuring my special guest, Lynn Jindusa. I hope today's show warmed your heart for Thanksgiving. Gardeners are a sentimental lot. And Lynn's weekly column certainly tugs at the heartstrings of her readers. So I hope you get a chance to check that out. And I hope you found our chat today to be both restorative and anchoring. Just a reminder that I'll have all of the information that Lynn shared on the show today under the Still Growing Podcast page over at my website at sixfootmama.com. That's the number 6 dot com. I'm so thankful to my team at Podfly Productions. I want to thank my editor and project manager, Eric Begay, and my copywriter, Ayn Kadina. I'd also like to thank the ladies that make up my listener advisory board, Beth Engel, Beth Gardens in Illinois. She works at Griffin, a national brokerage firm, and one of the finest companies in horticultural service. And Beth is also a board member of the PPA, the Perennial Plant Association, Denise Pugh, Denise Gardens, in North Mississippi, and is a contributing writer to Mississippi Gardener Magazine. Amy Von Atchen, Patricia Chandler Newport. She is the owner of Backyard Urban Gardens out of Kego Harbor, Michigan. Deb Gibson and Peggy Ann Montgomery. Peggy Ann is the brand manager at American Beauty's Native Plants. She was featured back in episode five fifty three, and we chatted all about how to incorporate more native plants into your landscape. If you're listening in the United States, I'd like to wish you a happy Thanksgiving. And I leave you today with this sign-off. Imagine Thanksgiving set in the garden. Just how many blessings can you find there?